So this bumper video uh, is actually telling a lot more than just a bunch of cute kids. Very, very cute kids, I might add. Um, tracing some objects uh, on a table. How many of you guys li- used to trace as a kid? Or maybe you still like to trace. Yeah, I used to love tracing. Uh, if you were a teacher, especially of younger kids, maybe you trace within your classroom. You know, you, you give kids a sheet with letters, dotted lines, you know, numbers. Uh, and they start to trace over those letters. And, and yeah, it's sloppy at first, right? Isn't it sloppy at first? I mean, it's all squiggly, and they don't get over the lines very well. But in time, by the end of that year, aren't they, haven't they improved so much? Um, and that's kind of what tracing is about, right? Like, you, you, you begin to trace over an image that my kids did. They had the image underneath them, and they're tracing this image. And Sophie's was really sloppy, and Luke's was a little bit better, and Ethan's was a little bit better. And, of course, they're older, and they get more skilled. And, of course, they can trace a little better as they get older. I was initially going to call this series Tracing, actually, uh, before we tr- changed it to Love and Other love and other messy things. And the reason I was going to call it tracing is because there's a passage in John, the Gospel of John, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, uh, where Jesus says, I have set you an example that you ought to do as I have done for you. Like, I've, I've created a pattern, and now I want you to trace my pattern. How I live my life, I want you to learn to live your life. How I think, how I act, I want you to learn to think and act like I have done. Like, I've set you an example. Now I want you to trace my example. I want your life to become... Like my life, copy it. Learn to live like I live. Yes, in the beginning, it's going to be sloppy. You're probably not going to do it very well in the beginning, but over time, as you persist and as you continue to do that, as you continue to practice, you're tracing. And in time, your life will look like my life too. And then other people might learn to look at you and they might begin to trace your life with their life and copy your life and then they too will look like me because they are following you. Paul said in his letter to, his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11 verse 1, he said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Like look at my life, trace my life because I'm following Jesus. What a bold statement. Could you guys honestly say that to somebody? Hey, look, look at me, follow me because I'm following Jesus. I mean, that's my hope. For us as a church, uh, as, a, as a leader of this congregation, that you guys could look at my example and you could look at my life and you could say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to live my life like Pastor Ross because I know that he's following Jesus and doing it well. Or I hope my kids, when they're older, can look at me and say, I'm going to follow my father because he was following Jesus so closely that I could follow him as a great example of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Could you guys say that in your life? That's kind of what the series is about. Asking ourselves, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we get to a point where if other people looked at our lives, they would know that we are indeed Jesus followers? And one of the great principles that is going to lead us in this and guide us in this series is this. Following Jesus is not about what we do. I mean, let that sink in for a second, okay? Following Jesus is not about what we do. It's all about what he has done and what he continues to do in us. My friends, that should cause a huge sigh of relief in you. Can I just hear like a corporate sigh of relief? Like, really? It's, it's not about what I do? Like, that's incredible. Guys, understand this very, very basic principle. All of your failures, all of your mistakes, they don't disqualify you from following Jesus. The mess that is your life, your inability to follow him well, that doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, being a sinner is a prerequisite to following Jesus. Having a messy past, living life not perfectly, that is actually a prerequisite to following Jesus. We're going to talk about this more in detail over the next couple of weeks. But today I want to get to the heart of the matter. I want to boil all this down and get to the heart of the matter. In order to do so, I want to ask you a very simple question, but one I think that is actually 
pretty challenging to, to answer uh, in this day and age in particular. And the question is this, who am I? Who are you? What defines you? Psychologists will tell us that our identity formation, the core perception and understanding of who we are, is based on conditional life experiences. So all these things that we experience on a day-to-day basis that are outside of ourselves inform us of who we are and our core understanding of who we are. Now, someone said something to me. Oh, Ross, you're such an idiot. Oh, you're so ugly. And I took those things to heart. And I let those external things, right, someone said something about me, and I let them shape me, inform me, and my understanding of myself. Something happened to me. Maybe as a child, my father hit me, or my mother left us, or I was fired from a job, or I didn't get the job, or she filed for a divorce, or I failed the test, or I didn't have a date for the dance, or I won the trophy, or I struck out, and I lost the game for our team, right? All these experiences are outside of ourselves, the conditions that we experience maybe on a day-to-day basis, But they form our understanding of who we are internally. The external forms the internal. We all do this to some extent because we all have grown up in a skewed and broken and messed up world, a sinful world. And we base our core identity on what has happened to us and what we have done to other people. We base who we are on what has happened to us or what we have done to other people. We base our internal perception of who we are on something external. And we all do this because we are both body and soul, right? The kid who was beaten by his father not only walks away from that experience with a bruised body, he also walks away with a bruised heart, does he not? And maybe the person who feels lonely, right? They're experiencing the the sadness, the the internal sadness of feeling alone, but they take it out on their body in physical ways. But what is interesting, I, I think, is that we as a race of people have separated the healing from the body from the soul and the healing of the soul from the body And we've approached these from very two different angles. And so let me clarify what I mean. We all know that we're broken, don't we? I mean, Courtney kind of said that in the beginning, and I think it's very true, right? We all know that we're broken. We all know that we're messy. None of us have it put together. We're all flawed here. Let's just be honest. Let's admit that, okay? Let's let's level the playing field. None of us is perfect. We're all messy. We're all broken, okay? We, We get that. We know this because we feel guilty, right? You ever felt guilty before? We feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed, right? We have the burden of the conscience weighing down upon us that tells us to stop or to slow down or to turn away. You know that feeling and that knowledge of your guilt and your shame and your embarrassment, that feeling of that angst towards yourself is actually a gift from God? It's called enmity. Can you imagine a world that you didn't feel that in? We call these people sociopaths, by the way. They do exist. Um, can you imagine, though, walking through life having absolute no knowledge that what you do is broken or wrong? You would have no need for salvation. You'd have no need for rescue. And you would go through life just thinking that you are the best. And you would treat others then out of that. We know that we're broken in our soul and in our body. So in an attempt to fix ourselves, we typically do one of two things. We either focus on the body or we focus on the soul. We might choose to do activity in our body. We know we have this internal problem, but we're trying to fix it through external means. I've said this a million times here, and I'll continue to say it. We are religious. Every single person that has ever walked the face of the planet is religious. Everybody does something in an attempt to fix the problem that we all know we have. We all know that we're broken. We all understand that. We all feel it. And so what do we do? We do something in order to fix the problem that we know that we have. Some people do this in religious buildings like this or in mosques or in temples or in synagogues. 
They might go light candles, they might do sacraments, they might attend a service, or they might give money, they might pray while clenching beads. Other people might do it on street corners or in bars as they take drugs or they drink alcohol or they cope with the internal problems through some other way, right? This is us doing something physical in hopes to fix the problem that we all know that we have. But here's the thing, when we turn to religion to try to fix that problem, we all end up walking a a powerless, powerlessness life. Does that make any sense? We have no power. There's no victory in religion. Absolutely no victory in religion. All we are doing with religion is sweeping our issues under the rug. We're burying them beneath the mask of, you know what, I'm okay. I, I, I'm put together, right? I did my penance. I did what was expected of me. And so I must be fine. And we're always trying to correct the issues by our own power, but really all we've done is delayed the effect. Because why do I keep feeling guilty? You know, I I went to the temple because I thought sacrificing that animal would take away the guilt, and then I left and I did that thing and I felt guilty again, so I had to go back to the temple and sacrifice the animal in order to get rid of the guilt. And then I went out and I did that thing again. It's like the cycle goes round and round and round. You can't get rid of it. Why do I always feel guilty? You know, why, why do I always experience the chaos? Why am I ashamed? Why am I always afraid? Why do I keep doing these things I know I shouldn't do? It's because religion only taunts sin. That's really all it does. And so in return, sin haunts us. Religion taunts sin, so sin haunts us. You're never free with religion because you were relying on doing of the body to fix an internal problem. It's not going to work. You know, even the Christians, I think, even those of us who, who follow Jesus, uh, we recognize that we're not right, right? We have this internal self-perception, this identity that has been shaped by these external factors, and we come to Christ as the cure, rightly so. We come to Christ for the cure. But we settle for external activities, thinking like, if I do this thing, then that will suffice as the cure. And so like, we get baptized, and we're like, Pastor Ross, why didn't my baptize wash away anything? Why am I still guilty? Why do I still have this burden upon me? Why aren't I free? I said that prayer that one night with my mom. I thought that was supposed to cure me. I attend church services. I give my money away. I do, I, I do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. I listen to K-Love. Isn't that what it means to follow Jesus? And don't you always promise that if you were to follow Jesus, then you would be set free? Why doesn't it work? All of these things are very good things, by the way, but we are relying on external practices to fix the internal problem of our soul, and we call it Christianity. But religion doesn't work, even if it's done in the name of Jesus. The other angle and approach that we often take to fix our souls has really only developed in the last 20 years or so. Really in earnest has it developed in the last 20 years or so. And it is basically a New Age spiritualism which basically tells us, accept who you are. Man, you know that you're broken. You know that you're a mess. Well, you know what? Just be okay with that. Be content with it. Accept who you are and call it beautiful. Embrace the broken inside. Come to grips and be at peace with the mess. Don't listen to the conscience, right? Bury the conscience and live your life out of that buried conscience. Live as you are because who you are is beautiful. And so you know that you're not right, right? But bury those feelings and embrace the you that is you. 
bury the feelings that you know you're not right and embrace the you that is you. And so on the one hand, we have religion. On the one hand, we have religion that tells us to cover it up by doing something. On the other hand, we have spiritualism, which says bury the sin by convincing yourself that there's really not a problem. Now, I want you to notice one interesting and important piece to this. Both the search for our identity, which is what we're all doing, right? We're searching for identity, and the fixes to our skewed identity put us squarely at the center of our lives, right? It's what someone said to me. It's what someone did to me. It's what I did or what I failed to do. And this selfishness will inform then how we use our money and how we use our energy and our time and what we view with our eyes and how we speak and when I give thanks and relationships in my work and the me, the selfish pursuit, right? I know who I'm trying to be and I use selfish endeavors, the, my, my ability to fix the problem or my bearing the problem. And I allow these to inform me not only me, but everything that I do with life. But either way, don't we remain at the center? Either way, we're going to stay at the center, right? It's still all about me. It's always all about me. And the reason that none of this is going to work, and none of this is going to help us discover freedom, is because it is all about me. Religion says you need to fix the problem. Spiritualism says there really isn't a problem. Be content with who you are. The identity that we're trying to find is me. It's the selfish pursuit. It's the me at the very center that is the problem. And none of these are solutions to that problem. And so Jesus comes along and says, my friends, you want to find freedom? Jesus comes along and says, friends, you, you want to be fixed? You want the healing of your soul? You want to discover the, <laughs> the humanity that you were created to live? Well, then this whole show right here, this whole thing needs to be put to death needs to die. The selfish center needs to die. And so in Paul's letter to the Christians gathering in Galatia, he's going to address this issue and how this works. If you have your scripture with you this morning, you're welcome to turn to the uh, letter written to the Galatians in the New Testament. Otherwise, words will be on the screen. You see, there was an age-old problem that for these young Christians was posing a very significant problem. Many people were coming into their midst, to their church midst, and they were <laughs> promoting this idea that in order to actually be healed, and actually for the problem of sin to go away, and the mess that we all know that we have to be healed, and to be accepted by God, to be part of God's family, you actually have to become Jewish first before you become Christian. You have to begin to follow the law. In particular, you have to become circumcised. But religion doesn't work, right? Become religious, he, they, they were saying. Here's what you have to do in your body in order to be saved and rescued and redeemed and accepted. And Paul says, this is a horrible grievance. Religion doesn't work. And so Paul is going to remind the Galatians that religion is not the answer. And that if they can learn to discover their identity in Jesus Christ, then they will discover true freedom. He begins by saying this in chapter 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, right? The world around us might tell us that if you want to be right with God, justified is just a fancy word for becoming right with God or accepted by God or, you know, the healing of our soul, all these things that we've talked about already. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not accepted by God or healed by their work, by religion, 
by what they do, right? That doesn't work. Rather, we know that it is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is only by faith, by trust in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf can we be healed and made right with God. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So, so guys, who cares if you're a Jew or a Gentile, right? That's not really what matters. Remember the issue that he's dealing with the, uh, the people in Galatia, right? That's not what matters. Why is everyone so concerned with people becoming Jews in order to be accepted and healed by God? It's not like being a Jew has added any benefit. No, we're accepted because of what Christ has done and through our faith in what Christ has done, our trust in what Christ has done. Right? The law we've been given doesn't save us. Faith in Jesus saves us. And that's available to all people. You see, the law and adherence to the law doesn't make us acceptable to God. In fact, the law shows us that nobody can be accepted by God because nobody can live up to the law standards. You see, the law is actually a curse. I mean, the law set the bar so high that nobody can live up to it. And so the law, in a, trying to abide by the law, actually condemns you. It's a curse upon you. It, tr- it reveals that you are condemned because nobody can live up to its standards. You see, we have a responsibility to follow, but nobody can follow it faithfully. No one will be accepted by God if you put the works of the law as your standard. Nobody will be able to reach that standard, and therefore nobody will be accepted by God. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? I mean, if the law is the standard of living life, and we say, man, forget you, law. I'm not going to follow the law anymore. Aren't we declaring ourselves as guilty sinners? I mean, we're standing before God condemned. We're saying, God, yes, I'm abandoning the law. I'm not going to use the law as my standard any longer, God. Aren't we revealing to God and proving to God and agreeing with God that we are, in fact, condemned sinners? We're standing out there saying, God, I'm guilty. I am guilty, God. I am condemned. Yes, God, I am a sinner. I'm not going to bury this, in other words. I'm not going to bury the fact that I'm a sinner. I'm not going to convince myself that my brokenness is beautiful and that I should be happy with it. And I should be happy with who I am, and I should learn to be content in my sin, and I should celebrate it because it just it makes me me. See, that's what spiritualism tells us to do. Just accept who you are. Just who you are is beautiful. It's okay. Yeah, you're a sinner, but it's beautiful, so just it's, it's, it's okay. Promote sin, accept sin. But does Christ promote sin? Absolutely not, Paul would say. I mean, it might have been the case in the past that if you abandoned the law, that you would stand condemned, but Jesus has torn down that system. And if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. See, I know it's confusing, but if you rebuild the, the scaffolding of religion as the means to be accepted and healed, then you're condemning yourself because nobody can live up to the law standards. If you want works, to be your guide for how you are accepted before God, then good luck. You're never going to be good enough. If you make the Gentiles first, in other words, become Jewish through observance of the law, you are condemning them because you are putting upon their shoulders a burden that nobody can possibly carry. You see, we reject God's grace when we rely on keeping the law. No, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. See, when I tried to keep the law, it kept condemning me. Man, I, I put the law up on my board and I said, okay, I'm going to try to live by these principles and I could never live by those principles and so I kept feeling condemned. I f- kept feeling guilty. When I relied on religion, I never felt free. 
I couldn't live up to its standards. And so by the grace of God, I stopped making the law my standard. I kept, I, I, I ditched the law and I, I didn't make the law my goal. I killed my religious attempt to finding healing and acceptance so that I might actually live in a love relationship with God and I might make a love relationship with God my goal. See, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, religion is going to tell you that it's all about what you do. And if you can just be good enough, then you will be accepted by God. And spiritualism is going to say, I should just accept my sin for what it is. All of these are attempts at fixing ourselves. But they put us at the very center of everything. And what's so ironic, I think, about the, the, the problem with humanity, right? The source of our brokenness is that the problem with humanity is that we are selfish, self-reigning, self-centered people. That's the problem. And so religion and spiritualism aren't fixes to the problem. Don't they actually advance the problem? If the problem is that I am at the center of everything and it's my selfish ambition that is guiding me and, and I turn to religion, which is really all about me, or I turn to spiritualism, which is really all about me, aren't I just advancing the problem through these attempted fixes? I mean, this is, this is sheep and wolves' clothing. This is wolves and sheep clothing, sheep's clothing. This is, a, this is a crafty trick of the devil. No, my friends, if you want freedom, you need to die. You need to put it all to death. And Paul's saying that this you that has shaped you, Right, putting the me at the very center of my identity and the center of everything that I do and it, this, this thing that informs my life, right? A, a meanness that informs my, my life says when I, when I have money in my hand, then I got to go spend it on me. And it's about greediness, right? Or if, if I have energy, then I'm going to do those things that benefit me with my energy. And what I view with my eyes, I don't care if I objectify other people through what I look at. Man, it's really all about me and my own pleasure. And how I speak, if I'm a gossip or a slanderer, if I choose, you know, whatever words I choose to use, it, it shouldn't bother you because really my life is all about me. And what is there to give thanks for? Because I'm doing all the work. Maybe if you're exceptionally generous to me, then I'll extend a little bit of gratitude. You see how this works? When you put me at the very center of all that you have, but what if instead of me being at the center, I put Jesus at the center? How would that begin to change things? What if Jesus began to inform what I viewed with my eyes? Would I objectify people still? Or would I start to see the image of God in people? How would Jesus inform the way that I use my mouth? Would I continue to gossip and slander and tear people down? Or would I begin to lift people up? And when I can't do that, would I just shut my mouth? How would Jesus inform me of when I ought to give thanks? I mean, if it's not about me, but all about Jesus, then shouldn't I be giving thanks constantly? How would Jesus inform the use of my money? When I have money, I would recognize that it's not my resources, but these are gifts from God, and so I should be generous with what I have. How would he inform the use of my time? The little bit of time that we have here on earth, what do I do with it? You see, what if in all our attempts at fixing ourselves, convincing yourself that there's no, not a problem, what if all these were put to death and instead we put Jesus at the center and we looked in the mirror and we said, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. 
I, I'm not just going to accept it all and, and, and bury that burden, but I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner and I'm going to let the grace of God wash over me. I'm not going to try to fix the problem through what I do through religious endeavors, but I'm going to let the grace of God wash over me. And the next time sin trips me up and reminds me that I'm not perfect, then the next time that I shove the meanness back into the center of my existence and I start to live out of a selfish center, instead of covering it up with religion, what if I were to remember that, that I've been crucified with Christ? And it's not about me anymore, but it's all about Jesus. And then every time sin trips me up and, you know, that, that, that me tries to get put back in the center and I recognize I'm not perfect, instead of bearing it with spiritualism, I, I remember the cross of Jesus and how it's not about me, but it's all about what he has done in me. And that me is going to try and claw its way back into the center and the world is going to try to convince me that I am what is most important and, and when that happens, I must remember that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who, who lives in me. Commit Galatians 2.20 to memory, my friends. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your dashboard. Put it somewhere where you're going to have it in front of you. See, my selfish identity has been healed, right? Because the power of the meanness has been surrendered. It has been let go. It has been put to death. And so my selfish identity has been healed because it's been put to death with Jesus and it's been raised to new life with Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So my priorities now begin to change and my love begins to change and my patience begins to change and my kindness begins to change and my generosity and my willingness and my viewing habits and the words that I use begin to change. My ability to give thanks begins to change. My life is transformed because I've surrendered the me to the grace of God. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I don't live for myself any longer. I am not the very center of my being. I am not the pursuit that I am trying to build up. Religion and spiritualism both convince us to live for ourselves and promise us healing, but the devil is a liar. No, I live in accordance with what Christ has accomplished through the cross and through the resurrection of the dead. So it's ironic, isn't it, that when we agree with God that we are sinners, and only when we begin to agree with God that we are sinners, when we don't try to cover it up and we don't try to bury it, when we agree with God that we are sinners and we call out to God for his grace, then only then do we find healing for our souls. Only then are we accepted and brought into God's family. So my friends, stop relying on your own efforts. It's not going to work. You've tried, and it didn't work. So stop relying on your own strength and surrender your own will to God, and you will find the healing that you are longing for. See, I do not set aside the grace of God in pursuit of religion or in pursuit of spiritualism. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through religion or through spiritualism, my friends, then Christ died for nothing. His whole existence was pointless, if that was the case. I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to reflect on this for just one minute longer as we close out our service this morning. So where are you this morning? You know, are you at a place where you recognize that you are indeed broken? Like, do you feel that in your bones? Do you feel that deep in your soul that there is something that's not right with you? I think we all, to some extent, feel this. We feel it because we're guilty, because we did that thing again, or we're ashamed, or we're embarrassed by what we've done. We have a burden of conscience because we're humans upon this earth. We all feel it. And so what do you do with it? Maybe you, maybe you tried religion. 
Maybe you tried to cover it up. Maybe you just keep coming back to this place because you think that if you are here long enough that, you know, it'll eventually go away. Maybe you say prayers. Maybe you try to read your Bible. Maybe you try to work it off. Or, or, or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You just say, you know what? Um, I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to call it beautiful, and I'm going to live my life. And you're going to bury it. But both of these put you at the very center of your healing. And if you are the problem, then putting you at the center is never going to help you solve that problem. And so Jesus comes along. An incredible act of grace. He says, let me help you remove the you-ness from the center of your being and let me put myself in its place. And my friends, I guarantee you that when you trust that I've taken all of your selfish attempts and your brokenness and I've nailed it to the cross and in exchange I've given you life, then you will begin to experience a changed life. It might be sloppy at first, like tracing an image, right? It might be sloppy at first, but in time you will find that there is abundant joy. You see, we come to Jesus and to God with two hands clenched. In one hand, we have our religious endeavors, right? In the other hand, we have our spiritual endeavors. And, and we're like, God, like, I, I'm trying. Like, I'm trying to find healing. That's what we all want. Deep in our hearts and deep within our soul, that's what we all want. We want to be put back together. We want to be right. We want to be accepted. We want redemption. So we, what we all want. And when you approach God with, with two hands clenched, you need to say, God, I'm going to give up all my attempts at fixing myself. When I fail, when I sin, God, I'm not going to rely on what I do to fix me. And God, I'm not just going to bury it. I'm not just going to you know, try to convince myself that there's not actually a problem. And I'm going to let go of these endeavors, and I'm going to let go of these, and I'm going to admit to you, God, this is where it all begins, friends. I'm going to admit to you, God, that I am in need of grace. I am in need of mercy, God. I am in need because I am a sinner. If that's where you're at this morning, then I, I want to say a prayer for you. I'm going to say a prayer for you. And, and if you pray this along with me, then I want to have a conversation with you because you have just been invited into the family of God and we need to celebrate. I want to give you some tools to help you along in this journey because if you put Jesus at the center of your life, it is going to be a journey. And yes, it's going to be sloppy at times, but in time it is going to reveal itself to be very, very transformative. We have some resources in the back of the Next Step kiosk. If you were to go to our website on the Next Step tab of our website, the very first tab under that tab is following Jesus. And that'll help you give a lot of tools as well to help you in this journey. But I'm going to say a prayer. And if you're at the place where you need the healing of God this morning, then I just invite you to say this prayer along with me. Heavenly Father, I recognize deep within my own heart that I am a sinner, God, that I am broken, that I'm a mess, that there is a bunch of chaos in me. And I also acknowledge, Father, that I have tried by my own efforts to fix it through religion. And it may not have been in a church building, but it may have been at the bar. It may have been at the way I treated my spouse. It may have been at any number of things, Father, to try to cope with the idea that I am broken. And God, I acknowledge that there have been times when I've just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to accept me for me and I'm just going to call it beautiful and I'm just going to bury the fact that there's a problem. I've tried them both, God, and neither of them work. But 
It's a great mystery, Father, that in your great love you've said that if you just admit to me, if you would just rely on me and you would just claim the fact that you are a sinner. And so, God, I claim the fact that I'm a sinner this morning. I am a sinner, God. I have rebelled against you. I have hurt my loved ones. I have hurt people, God. I am guilty. I stand guilty before you. And I rely now on the grace of God to do its work in me. I am no longer at the center of my being, Father. I remove that. I put that to death. I come to you with unclenched fists, open-handed, Father, for you to do your work in me. Fill me, Father, then with Jesus. May there be more of Jesus and less of me, more of Jesus, less of me, more of Jesus, less of me every single day, Father. And may Jesus then begin to inform the way I use my money and my time and my energy and my habits and all these other things, Father. May Jesus begin to inform me of how I live my life and by your spirit, Father, empower me then to be free. Thank you for what you have done and I always give you thanks because it's what you have done and what you continue to do in me. I pray this all in the mighty, glorious name of Jesus. Amen.